In this episode, we spoke to Brooke Thompson, Strategy Director at Mindshow Australia, about her highly awarded campaign, Volvo Omtanke. This was a media planning approach originally conceived in 2019, and it was an early Australian poster child for the Binet and Fields long and short of it. They shifted to a brand-led approach, moving away from one-off promotions and adapting existing offers into an always-on layer to deliver significant sales increase in the declining category. Omtanke was recognized at the Australian FE Awards, silver with other consumer goods, bronze for brand value, and at the Media Federation Awards, it won gold for business impact and the Grand Prix. And most recently, it won the Walk Effectiveness Innovation Grand Prix. Omtanke isn't just a word. It's a lens through which you can view the world and see things differently. It's a new perspective, a considerate, more caring one. Omtanke shines a brighter light on the things that really matter. And that helps us focus on making those things better. On making the world better. For everyone. Omtanke. We welcome you to try it. Volvo. So in this week's episode, we're welcoming Brooke Thompson, who's the media strategist at Mindshare, to talk about her work that was recognized at the MFA, what, two years ago now, back in 2019, for the Volvo Omtanke Rethinking Volvo. They picked up awards for the Australian Effies for other consumer goods at silver, Australian FE awards for brand value bronze, the MFA awards for business impact, and importantly, the MFA awards for Grand Prix. So welcome first, Brooke. Thank you for coming in to talk about this piece of work. Thank you. It's good to be here. So... What I learned about this campaign was you made Volvo more meaningful again by shifting to a brand-led media approach where you challenged the category convention to deliver significant sales uh, increase in a declining category. But when we think about Volvo and and being from Europe, the first thing that comes to mind is safety. But that was a problem, right? Massive problem, I think. For so long, Volvo had built, built this heritage on being safe and the technology they put in their cars to make everybody safe, but we got to a tipping point where safety just became standard. The technology within cars kind of was commoditized and safety itself was commoditized and I think the category had moved on in terms of really shifting into emotional drivers and we had kind of been still really stuck in this rational space. and. If we're being totally honest, safety doesn't sell cars. It's not sexy by any means. And when we're trying to go up against the likes of BMW and Audi and 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 those guys, Mercedes, you just couldn't compare trying to sell safety. So I think there was a real moment where we had to go, okay, what else have we got within our arsenal? What's the meaning behind that? And I think this, to jump ahead, this project was absolutely a labor of love and a catalyst for it actually was maybe two years before the campaign when we realized this and it was like okay we know that we as a brand need to shift and a few of us had been I'd come new onto the brand and be to a basically a brand induction day and heard the whole story about the brand from where to go absolutely drank the kool-aid and I was really touched by the simple effect of their purpose where they basically said the reason we're about safety is because we're about humans and making sure that humans and and their life on this planet continues because without humans there's no one to drive our cars and if we don't have people to drive our cars there's no point making them so that's why they were about safety because they were human first and 
when I understood that, I was like, hold on, that's a much cooler expression of what this brand is. How do we bring that to the forefront and flip what we were doing? So two years prior to the actual campaign, I pitched doing a proactive consumer journey project to kind of go exactly that. They had strong awareness. Everybody knew who Volvo was, but they had a huge bottleneck at consideration. So it was like, come on, guys, we're focusing all our efforts down the bottom of the funnel. Let me broaden your perspective. Let's look at our consumer journey from woe to go and go, what are our challenges at each stage? And therefore, how do we start to think about how we uh, approach comms in a, in a broader sense to start to tackle this challenge? Because, yeah, it was much bigger than just putting more comms out there. We're only going to reinforce the old stereotype. Having worked myself on a number of car brands over the years at at media agencies, there's almost an addiction to performance metrics. Mm. How many many impressions are we getting? How many clicks? How does that drive through Mm. to visits or or, uh, trialling the car? And sometimes you can always get into a perpetual cycle of this is all, this is how we... I guess, evaluate if we're doing well or not. So how, how, how did you start to move them away from something that is, is synonymous with the industry? Yeah, you're 100% right. And I think a big part of that is how beholden the marketing teams are to dealerships. And so this, doing this piece of consumer journey work at the very start broadened their perspective and said, okay, we're currently 90% of our activity sits here at the very bottom. Look at all the opportunity that sits in the other start parts of the journey. And if we unlock and start to fill up the top, it's only going to help down here. So it was that piece of work ended up being a big workshop. We put it up on the wall and it got exposure to people like the MD and, and the, the sales directors within the business that had a direct line into the, the dealerships. And then that started to shift the perspective. I think it was still baby steps from there. But over those two years, it was only when Julie came on board, which was just before, so I think the beginning of 2018 and maybe the end of 2017 when she came on board and she saw the passion that Matt Sims and I had at White Grey. We worked really closely, which I think is a key also to this campaign success. She saw the passion that we had. She saw the intent and where we were trying to go. And it was really brave of her to go, yeah, guys, let's do it. Let's act differently to everybody else in the category. Don't worry about the dealerships. I'll handle that because I believe in what you're trying to say and what you're trying to do. So it was a big ask. It required a lot of bravery on their front, but it worked. (laughs) And and to think it took two years. And and of course, I imagine that you're continuing on that path. Yeah. There There must have been times when... There was the pressure from the dealers and and saying, we're not doing enough in that space and mm. we're going to have to go back to it. How, were there times within your two-year period where you had to just go back to reinforcing this is the journey we're on? In the initial in the initial part, yes. I think once Julie came on board and she bought into what we were trying to do, a big part of the work and a big part of the strategic change that we made was moving to an always-on approach. So... Instead of previously where we would have had, and like the rest of the category does really, like arbitrary campaign periods that a sale here, a sale there, end of financial year is huge. When we did this consumer journey work, we went, people don't buy cars like that. Like we don't get to choose when people want to do that. So a big part of the strategic shift was let's make sure we've got an always on brand layer an always on consideration layer and an always on demand layer. And that our efforts in each of those are focused 
from a waiting point of view to what we need to do and where the challenges are, but that we're not neglecting one in favor of the other. So I think that really helped us give confidence to the dealers and we didn't come into too much um, trouble there because they knew that regardless of what we were doing at the top, there was that always on layer that was still focusing on performance for them, but we were also topping up the funnel. So there were parts of it where we had to do quite a lot to show them and use research to show them that the work we were gonna do up the top would trickle down to what we were doing at the bottom. And I think as we started to put it into practice, the results spoke for themselves. And we were really lucky to have a strong leader at Volvo like Julie who backed us and did that part of it for us. And we armed her with all the information she needed and she did that half for us as well. And I think with this being awarded in 2019 and now we're in 2021, I think about the the commentary and market at the mm. moment that has that has come through with the the likes of the long and short of it with mm. the net and field, mm-hmm. and of course Mark Ritson would say it's the the most important thing in the long and the short of it is the and, mm. and I would imagine that this is almost a perfect case study or a you know the poster child mm. almost in this market to say this is how the long and short of it works. It was a huge inspiration for the structure. Like we wanted to make sure that we were implementing the two at one time because we'd been for years doing one and neglecting the other in favour of short-term sales and you could see that our brand health metrics suffered as a result they hadn't done anything in brand for a long time and even when they were doing brand there was a price point attached or things like that so it was absolutely let's take this theory try and apply it and see what happens what a great poster child yeah. for it. They must be very happy. So getting into the delivery of it, because you've talked about the heritage of yep. the human and, and understanding that the the group of premium car buyers don't buy cars that way anymore. Mm. So into the delivery, you said you weren't touching upon the one-off promotions and things, but you were looking at things like using data signals to convert intent. Are you able to yep. share with us how you brought data to prove intent? Yeah, so the guys had a lot of signals on site already in terms of who had booked test drives and completed configurations and things like that and been to different pages and we were able to understand what that meant about where they were in their journey and therefore the type of messages that we then needed to send them if they haven't booked a test drive yet or if we knew from a second party data point of view what their life stage was like whether they had children whether they didn't that we could make sure we were serving the right models to them and that everything we were doing was appropriate to their needs and put them at the centre as opposed to us pushing a large SUV in May because that serves us best or us pushing a sedan in June because that's what serves us best. It was about putting the consumer's needs at the heart as opposed to what we what served us from a uh, financial point of view. And it, it, it spoke for itself. Like the, there was a great response to it and when you had that coupled with the brand activity that really unpacked the purpose, everything kind of fell into place. And I've also read that you, excuse me, you've also, I've also read that the neuroscience was applied to optimise emotional impact across mm. these channels. How, how, how did that come about? So that in, was in the sense of the brand activity, I think, when I was thinking about this shift from kind of being like everybody else in the category, it was like quite passive involvement and everything seemed kind of out of reach and the way we were communicating was to people who may not have even been in market and we had this beautiful brand story and I really wanted that to land especially with Om Tanke the whole point of it was about thinking differently and coming at it with a fresh perspective and it was all about this really considered thought and intelligence and I think for me that meant in media that we had to behave the same way. We had to be more approachable. We had to be different to everybody in the category. And from a um, neuroscience point of view, it was actually about just making sure that people could 
be close to the be close to the creative, see it up close, feel within reach. It was about going from large format to small format. It was making sure that whenever we showed up in out of home, it was at street level so that people could be up close. We had a few key murals that actually had a 3D render of the car coming out of the wall so that people could touch it and, and see what it looked like. And because one of the insights that we came across when we were looking at how we shift perception and we knew we had this big bottleneck at consideration because everybody was thinking about Volvo as this boxy old thing that <laughs> took up too much space on the road and was reserved only for bad drivers. And when we dug into our brand health and some of the surveys that we had, it became really clear that anybody who had been inside one recently or knew of somebody who had one recently, their consideration was remarkably better. So a key was just making sure that people could get up close and experience the cars as if they were going to step inside one. So we tried to translate that through into how we behaved in media. It was a massive shift in terms of out of home when the whole category uses large format and to say, no, hold on, we're going to focus solely on small format. And that's coming back to the thinking differently piece. But mm. sometimes as an extra strategist myself, having mm. having this approach and, and thinking about, you know, this connects perfectly to what the, the brand challenge is, mm. sometimes it, it almost doesn't translate into the media buying yeah. and the media investment teams perhaps can't express it in some way. How, mm. how did you make sure that they were along the journey to be able to deliver that? I had a brilliant team. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they had, well, like, we all had bought into this, like this idea of this is what we're going to do. We're going to shake it up. And they were coming off a really strong base, like Wayne Jarvis at Mindshare and the investment team coming off a really strong base of investment knowledge. So when we had a working relationship, when I would say, this is the intent, this is what we want to do. He'd be like, oh yes, this, this, and this. And we just collaborate and sit together and build it out in the room. And I was very fortunate to have their smarts to draw on and make the thinking better in that way. Yeah. Very fortunate to have a brilliant team and we all worked so well together. And going back to the, I'll start again, going back to the human piece that you spoke about Mm. at the beginning that really engaged you in the brand Mm. when you you first started working on it, one of the ideas that you committed to from a sustainability piece was you brought to life a Volvo Living Seawall, a a world-first initiative designed to improve marine life. Mm. Again, how did that come about and and how did that link and and, and I guess, yeah, where, where... That is a huge credit to the team at White Grey. That's their baby, that's their brainchild, but it all came from that same strategic platform of if this is our creative idea of Om Tanke, it's about rethinking, it's about being considered. And we knew from a strategic perspective based on the consumer journey work that we had a real piece to do to not just put our message out there, but demonstrate what we actually mean, demonstrate our innovation outside of safety. Like that doesn't get us anywhere anymore, but we had to really show people a, the rich history in, in innovation and, and um, technology that we had, but applied to something they would actually care about and something that culturally felt relevant. And again, back to that, just considered human. If we're about hu- if we're about making sure that this planet is sustainable and human life basically continues, there's no better way to do that than commit our technology to something that helps sustainability overall. So, yeah, that. That is a huge credit to those guys and it just seemed to really fit well within the overall plan. I think one of the things I'm most proud of about this work is when you look at the themes that came out of the other case studies that year, it was massively leaning into digital tech and innovation and how tech was applied in the digital space to like AI, all those kind of things. And this work was completely different to that. It was about bringing it back into the offline world, real tangible things. 
and showed that just making smart, strategic choices, like I don't think there's anything too sexy about three levels of like a brand consideration demand layer and always on planning and things like that. But just showing that those small, simple, strategic choices can make massive impacts for the brand and and long term. And I was really proud of the fact that that held up and that stood out against some of the real flashy innovation and tech. Well, hence why you won the Business Impact Award at the MFAs. And it makes me think about the things that you've spoken about and the decisions you made. We always want to prove that media can have an impact on Mm. the client's business, mainly because we hear that CMOs aren't part of a board when thinking about it. And and of course, marketing is perhaps seen as a very expensive part of a business's P&L. So having a brave client, but also a client that... I guess is reaped the rewards Mm. of showing that media can have, and of course creative, can have a massive impact on sales. Yeah, and I think a big piece of this too is that when the two, like, just work so well together, because often, and as you would know your time in the industry and as a strategist, sometimes you aren't quite in concert. But I think the working relationship that we have with the guys at White Grey on this campaign and over the last couple of years is the work couldn't have happened without it. Like we were both singing from the same sheet. Like we, the consumer journey project in the start, Matt and I did it together. It was completely collaborative from the start. So our strategic base was exactly the same. So everything just sung basically. And I don't think we could have done it any other way. And from a results perspective, brand attributes were up 92%, consideration increased by 136%, sales followed with a 43% in a declining category Mm. and a 47% increase in market share. So no wonder it was so well awarded here because of that work. And I think it's great to see that those shifts, and I think to your point about we don't often see... The last, like we like we know and we hope that what we do in media has as much of an impact as sometimes big creative ideas can, but it's so nice to see that those changes in the brand are sustained. Mm-hmm. Like the guys have still seen great levels of consideration. They're still right up there. The sales results are great. The brand is completely turned around from that point, which is amazing. And for people listening to this, being inspired by your story and and the work, and for someone probably sitting there with a similar challenge, what would you be saying to them? They've they've just got the brief from the client. What tips or advice would you be giving them to say, you know, obviously we've talked through it, Mm. but, but what tips would you say this is what you need to be thinking about? Trust your gut. Like I, and, and persist, like it took a long time (laughs) to get to where we did on this and it wouldn't, I think it wouldn't have been the same expression at the end if we didn't have to go through that. And it came from just this, from all of us within the agency teams, both creative and media, it was just this passionate belief that we knew the brand could unlock something great. And it took challenging what that could look like over a number of years, but keep challenging, keep doing it because the result can be phenomenal when you do. If you really believe that a few small things will make a change, fight for them. Because I think too often sometimes when sometimes clients feel uncomfortable and thankfully in our situation we didn't have that, but it can be really easy to go, oh, we'll just back this off a little bit or we'll just change that a little bit and and you end up completely diluting what it was you were trying to do and I think there's more space for us to challenge and more space for us to back ourselves. 
it's the same that can happen diluting ideas but also diluting your strategy mm. so that, that can happen so you've got to fight hard for what yeah. you believe in and, and trust as you say trust your gut but also know that you're on the right path you've yeah. made the right decisions you've brought the right partners in on that how, how important you've, you touched upon White Grey being an mm. important partner how were other partners uh, within this important to delivering this I think once we decided that uh, and Wayne and the investment team would probably speak better to this than I would but once we decided the approach we wanted to take and once we knew we were moving to always on planning it really unlocked for us the ability to engage with media partners in a in a, like a collaborative way instead of us just briefing them on campaigns we got them in a room at the start and said we're looking for a year-long partner these are the things we're trying to achieve how do you flex what you've got to help us achieve that so we were able to take a much longer term strategic view with them and it made them excited, which is what sometimes when you're briefing on really short ter- turnarounds and they feel limited in their capacity to be able to show their smarts and and really flex their products, you don't get the best out of them either. So I think this again was a great example of if we knew what we were doing up front, took this always on approach, we got the best thinking out of them and we got them excited about thinking about what was coming up in their brands and in their spaces that could help contribute to that. And what we've ended up with is a series of long-term partners in the true sense of the word that have continued on two, three years down the track. And they've got, they've bought into our brand story. They've bought into the strategic intent. So they're picking things up even when we haven't pulled them out yet, which is a great place to be, I think. And talking about two or three years later to yeah. where we are today, I was going to ask you within that, that yes, it's great you everyone's bought into that, but I'd imagine that there are times when a client or someone else goes, well, we can't keep doing what we've always been doing. We need to change mm. something. Is this something that you hold fast on or are there things that you just adapt to the market? Now, how do you keep a long-term strategy going from the beginning? You said there was a lot of work mm. to get to that point, but I guess there's also a lot of work to do to continue that mm. on that strategy because it's easy to just change course. Yeah, and I think the nice bit about this is that it's the structure that's evergreen, right? It's the always-on structure that's evergreen. So while that can stay the same and we know that helps deliver on the goals that we've got, because it's consumer first and it's based on what our consumer challenges are, the activity within it can change. And that gives the flexibility to remain current and make sure that we're still um, doing what we need to do from a consumer perspective. Because say our challenges now with consideration are not what they were two years ago. So the activity that we have to um, do within that layer shifts and evolves. So I think that keeps it fresh and that keeps partners excited and that gives white gray new space to play but the structure itself is what holds fast. So that goes back to the data that you spoke mm. about. That's going to inform the changing behaviours of the yeah. consumers, so, but overall the structure yeah. uh, stays the same. I guess it, it's a bit like the hashashi of the car. Yeah. The model itself doesn't overly change, but no. everything else inside it adapts to yeah. the needs of a new market. So it's always, it, there's, there's something parallel there. Yeah, and I think, like for example, with that brand layer, we know that we need the brand layer, but especially last year, with the way everyone's behaviour ch- shifted, the way we reach people in that layer is going to change. We still need that layer and it serves a purpose and we know the comms that sit within it, but the media behaviour and the channels within it might have shifted last year. I myself didn't actually work on it um, last year. I was on mat leave, but the team would have absolutely adapted that, but the intent stays the same. Of course. 
Well, again, thank you very much for coming in. It was great to understand this campaign at a deeper level and uh, congratulations on the uh, work. And I guess, uh, hopefully I think there's a lot of people listening to this that would take a lot of inspiration and start adapting and, and thinking about how they approach their clients to, re- to really start proving that the media and Media Plus Creative can have an impact on clients' business. Yeah, thank you. It's one I'm very passionate about, so I'm glad more people can hear about it. <laughs> thank you. So thanks for listening. I hope you learned a little bit more about how to apply the Burnett and Fields long and short of it through this campaign. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe and share with your friends. Thank you for listening.